Hi, I'm David Kukoff, editor of Los Angeles in the 1970s, Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, and author of Children of the Canyon. Uh, I'm Randy Mason, and I'm the author of Falling Back to One, a novel. Hmm. Which I had a good pleasure of taking a look at. Um, Randy, just a first quick question. Um, how did you come to write this book? Um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I think uh, that's always people, you know, want to know that. That's always a hot question, I think. And I know I'm often thinking that myself when I read a, a story. Um, you know, I will say that I've had this story, you know, in my head, so to speak, uh, since I was in high school. Um, so it, it just took a long time for me to actually write it. Um, you know, other than that, I, I prefer really not to get into that. Um, it's just a decision I made, I guess, quite a, a ways ago not to really go any further than that. But it is something that I had with me for a long time. And, you know, I think that I was compelled to write it in the sense that I felt that people reading it would maybe experience some healing with it, which is something that I have heard from people. Um, and I think also it touches on, even though it's a novel, I mean, I think it touches on a lot of important issues. Uh, so I think it brings certain issues to people's attention in a way that's, um, you know, a different way than people just, you know, talking about things in a very kind of objective manner. Um, I guess I'm also curious, you know, what, I mean, obviously, I think you have a great love for Los Angeles. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I guess what in particular struck you, though, in terms of the 1970s, you know, I read, obviously, you know, your um, preface to the actual book. Um, I think, you know, the 1970s was such a fascinating time in so many ways, and a lot of change occurred. Um, but I think, you know, you're having chosen that time was, was great. And, well, I guess also just in terms of how you went about choosing who to include uh, as writers in there. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, as you point out, it was, you know, it was, it was, it, it was a fascinating time, um, you know, in so visceral a way, because when you bring up that period for people here, um, they, you see something cross, uh, pass across their faces. Um, they they just have some kind of connection to to the decade, whether real or somewhat you know hazily you know, nostalgized. It, it's still you know something about that decade here um, still feels uh, like kind of like magic to people. And I, I myself, why, why I was so drawn to it, um, because I was still pretty young through most of that decade. I mean, I didn't I turned fourteen, nineteen eighty, but. A lot of I obviously have a lot of formative memories from growing up then, and just as I got older, I started looking back and you know really taking a look at how that 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 decade served as such an interesting bridge. It seemed to me that all of a sudden, you know, not all of a sudden, but gradually, we had gone somehow from this social activism and sense in the 1960s that we were still all in this together. Uh, by by this I mean America. We were still all fellow Americans, um, and somehow by 1980, with Reagan's election, that seemed to have changed. And I sensed that, and it's interesting that Reagan was sort of a product of California as well. You know, having come out, we, we were the first ones to give him a real, real you know, a big office here. And and it seemed it seemed very telling that the Californians who'd so helped usher in and be a major part of the counterculture 
had also seemingly had a big say in deciding when the grown-ups were going to come back in and take over, uh, which felt which, which is what Ronald Reagan's election and the subsequent 1980s felt like to me. And I wanted to take a look at that bridge decade and say, what was it about that period um, that transitioned us? What were these? What were the stories that give us some kind of insight into the psyches of, of, of the people and the collective psyche of the country, and in a, specifically of our, our state and our in our city, even more specifically? And that's that's that really was that was the the, the prompt um, as far as how I, how the 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 the, 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 sorry, the assemblage of of the voices was equal parts design on my part in terms of just going to people who I thought would have interesting stories. Um, it was, I assigned a couple of them out because for me, no collection about Los Angeles in the 1970s would be complete without the Z channel and Dr. Demento and a couple of other <laughs> indispensables as far as right. I was concerned. Um, and then lastly, there was a, there was, there was, there was really a, a kind of almost a serendipity that came over this project because the more I started putting, the, you know, the, the more I started putting it out there that I was doing this collection, the more stories started coming to me. People would find me or somebody would say to me, you got to talk to this guy. He's got this crazy, he's got this crazy adventure about how he talked his way into running the Maharishi TV station when he was a 23 year old grad, you know, graduate <laughs> right. of NYU or something. So right. the, the, the strangeness, you know, I, I, I put it out there that I, that I certainly wanted a sociological study, but I, I didn't want this to be, a, you know, a, a very polite, the observed academic take on the city. I didn't want it to be too eggheaded. I want it to be great and accessible. I think I thought that the weirdness and the and 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 the craziness and the and the sort of sense that this was the last frontier decade in Los Angeles's evolution was really important to get across. And the stories needed to reflect that. And to a large extent, I think they did. Um, it's interesting because well, as we're talking about the decade, and obviously <coughs> Los Angeles and New York seem to be the two. You know the, the coast, the poles, the, the poles. They seem to be the, the cities that you know garner you know a lot, if not the lion's share of media attention when we when we delve into this kind of, into the subject. Um, right. What was it? Do you think about New York in the 1970s? Because I spent a fair amount of time there too. As a youth. What do you think it was that made it such a perfect backdrop for your book? You know, it's funny because you know some of the things obviously you're talking about in terms of LA also apply to New York because I, you know, I actually was a teenager, um, you know, during the seventies in New York. And, you know, it's funny because I felt the same transition in the sense that in the beginning of the seventies, there's still, there still is a great sense of hope. Um, I think there still was this feeling of, okay, we're all moving in the right direction. We're all, we're all going towards the same thing. And, you know, there was still that idealism of, you know, ultimately achieving peace and, you know, everybody would get along and, you know, all of these things. Um, and then, you know, as the decade went on and especially, you know, New York fell into a huge fiscal crisis and everything, and then the crime increased and the drugs increased and, you know, everything was falling apart even more than it had been and there was yeah. so much blight and everything else. And it shifted into this feeling of, you know, things are maybe not going to be okay. And, <laughs> you know, I think there was this huge disillusionment 
And, you know, so it's funny because, you know, I myself have this, you know, um, very sentimental feeling whenever I think about the 70s. But for me, I'm always, I know, focused on that first half, um, which felt very different. And I agree, there was something magical about that time. And I think it was because of all that feeling of, you know, we could make this world a great place. Um, and that sort of just totally eventually fell away. Um, but there was so much upheaval at that time still, um, so much change going on and so much unrest in terms of, you know, people struggling to get their rights and, and to be heard and all of that, um, that I felt that, you know, first of all, it brought in so many things that were, uh, meaningful in the actual course of the book, but it also, in a sense, paralleled or reflected all the upheaval and change going on in the characters as well. So, you Mm -hmm. know, sort of that, that kind of, um, you know, allegorical connection in terms of that. Mm -hmm. So, and and of course, you know, the story itself is very kind of gritty and dark. So, so, you know, it it brings in that character of New York, which, you know, certainly always present, even in the, even in the early part of the seventies and, you know, know particular areas um and and i agree there was something very real i mean as as uh dark and and crime ridden and and you know dirty as new york was uh at that period of time you know i think there still felt something very very real about it which i don't know you know i mean i'm still living here in new york but something that 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 kind of got lost along the way it doesn't feel Mm -hmm. the same to me at this point um, you know, I was actually very fascinated now to hear that, that you were um, so young uh, during the 70s that, you know, for some reason I had almost actually thought that maybe you had gone to that alternative school. That was <laughs> one of the essays in your book. I was going yeah. to ask you if you had actually attended that school. So, um, you know, it is fascinating to me that you, you know, picked up on that decade, even though, you know, it was, it was not quite when you were essentially, you know, a, a full uh, teenager no. uh, at that time. No, it's, it's I mean, it, it's interesting because um, both in my novel and in this collection and yeah, that, you know, the, the, um, the alternative school was an essay, the IPS story was an essay that I had wanted to write for at least 10 years now. Um, I, I'd read a, I was always fascinated with the, with the, 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 the punk movement. And um, I'd love to be able to say it's because I was sneaking out and, you know, hanging out on Hollywood Boulevard and was, you know, cutting my, you know, like my hair to a mohawk. But no, I was as straight-laced a kid as you could imagine. Um, I was really, I grew up in a bubble, um, very protected. And yet, somewhere, wayward instinct in me was always was always aware of you know the the all the miscreants going on at, just outside that bubble of wine i was i would read the la weekly i would listen to k-rock i you know read I, whatever i could get my hands on in terms of what was going on so even if i was too quite frankly too scared to venture out too far beyond you know into it myself and years later i just would i would just i just kept a, the the thinnest of tethers to what the, 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 what the recent history, you know, whatever book I get about the punk movement, whatever I could, you know, sort of keep an eye on or read for just my own, just, just to give me, just to, for whatever reason, to give me this vicarious sense of, oh God, this was all part of my city's recent history. Um, the, both the novel and, this, and that story came from 
in certain ways, my living a vicarious fantasy life. Um, I'd always, but they had actual, it had some the thinnest or the slimmest of then overlap in my own life. And for and what that means, you know, was is that the book came about because I realized when I was reading more about Peter Biskin's Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, and all the great you know, film sort of mavericks of the '70s, I realized that some of the names of the book. Um, were people I'd known, either peripherally or I knew their kids. I'd been to their houses. I, I'd had, in my own way, some account, some 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 interaction with them. And I just started thinking of a of, of a childhood in Laurel Canyon um, that I and again that scene I'd always been incredibly fascinated with. Um, using some of the you know the the the, the, the parent the, the father in the book was. Uh, a composite of a few dads I knew who had, you know, been TV writers or music producers or film producers or people who who had, who had lived that life. And I took some of my own personal experiences, so some of my own, so, some, some, you know, some personal. Again, not like not not not. It's not um, a romantic club. It's not like I, I, I actually wrote you know, a, a memoir thinly veiled as a novel. It was. You know, largely fictionalized, but it was still personal in a lot of ways. A lot of the world that that boy inhabited was the world that I inhabited. So the certainly the the emotional narrative was 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 very close to my own, and I found that by that you know that's what made for great fiction was being able to take your personal narrative, your personal emotional narrative, and put it in a fictional setting that was just more quite frankly dramatic and interesting than my own, you know, my own setting was growing up. Right. Um, and that made, and that made for, I think a really good, a really good recipe for, for, for a first novel. And then when it came to writing the, uh, the IPS story, the, you know, how this all sort of comes together is that I would have gone to the, 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 the mainstream version of that school. University High School was my public school, but I was, um, my, my, my parents were scared of busing, so I, w- I was shipped off to private schools. Um, both the schools, by the way, in the novel were the schools I attended. They're not even thinly veiled. They're actually those schools. Um, right. but, 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 but I was fascinated, but, you know, but, I, but, I, but I said, wow, what if I'd gone to public school and gotten mixed with like, real kids you know, and not been so rare? Well, sure enough, as I was reading a, an account of the punk scene, I was reading about Darby Crash, and I was kind of going through all the familiar stuff I knew most, but then all of a sudden they started talking about this school he'd gone to, this crazy school where they had like dropped acid with the teachers and they made it, they gave themselves their own grades. They did Tai Chi in the morning and they, you know, they had all these bizarre, you know, they had this crazy approach to, to emotional intelligence. I said, wait, that's more interesting than anything. I'm reading about this. What, what's, what's, what's that, you know, what's that story? And the more research I did, the more I realized there had been this crazy alternative school that was fully sanctioned by LAUSD that only could have been, you know, a function of the times. There's no way that school could take flight now. And I said, now that to me is the quintessential LA in the 70s story. I'm going to find a way to tell it if I ever get this book out. Well, once I, we were moving forward with the book, um, I was able to network my way to some people who'd gone there and they put me on the Facebook page, um, the, the alumni page and said, hey, here's this guy putting together a collection. Um, he wants to tell an oral history of this thing. What, uh, you know, tell them your stories. And before I knew it, I had 36,000 unedited words from 12 different people who'd been there. And they told me the most extraordinary tale of a place that was so much more complicated and interesting. And I think hopefully instructive in some ways um, in that it treated kids like they didn't just sort of drill, you know, testing and, and, and standards at them. They really treated them like emotionally intelligent beings who could be shaped. And to this day, every person I talk to credit that school for having made them the person they are today. 
Wow. I mean, I you know, and yeah, no, I mean, you know, that was very fascinating to read because I, I remember hearing about that school um, or that type of school and, and thinking, you know, it sounded crazy to me because obviously I, I went to a very traditional, you know, high school and, you know, very goal-oriented and, and whatever. And mm. I, I couldn't imagine, you know, how did anybody ever really end up learning anything? Do they really learn stuff there? It just sounded so wild to me. So to read, you know, the people talking about their experiences there um, and how it impacted them, it, it really was, uh, you know, very eye-opening to me because I I'd yeah. never heard from anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for me, it was like, again, you know, something about punk rock and, and this school, you know, maybe think, what if that had been me? What if I had, what if I had, you know, had more courage and gone out and run around a little more in Hollywood Boulevard when I was like 15? And what if I'd gone to this crazy school that instead of treating me like a smart machine had really tried to, you know, foster my individual growth? Um, and, I, you know, I, I just found that, you know, I, it was almost like in my own way, my fiction, nonfiction became, you know, this, this vicarious outlet through which I... I relived or reimagined my my own you know my, my own my own evolution so um if i could it is for just, an alternative universe yeah i mean yeah. that's what the, you know as we all know look i mean you just you touched upon it but you know in your in the first question but there's something about you know what we do that really allows us to to you know reconcile ourselves or you know, to our past or create you know more interesting versions while at the same time not completely foregoing our own experience, our, you know, our own, our, our own actual experiences. Um, um, what the, you know, you talk about your, your book, I, I thought was so fascinating because it really took place. I mean, as you said, you really, you, you, you beautifully recreated and captured the era. And obviously you had firsthand experience there. Um, what, you know, and, and, you know, again, that you chose to write it, you know, to write a dark gritty book um, that had some genre components to it. Uh, was fascinating to me too because you know, New New York, uh, the New York of the seventies, really did uh, lend itself to the kind of tone that you wrote. What types of challenges do you think you would face? And this is entirely hypothetical. I'm not even sure if it's a valid question. But if you were to set this book in New York today, what kind of challenges do you think you'd face? You know, I honestly, I think that it would, you know, be extraordinarily difficult to have that take place today, you know, and keep the actual plot line as it is, because, mm -hmm. you know, if you look at what was going on in the 70s, um, like even in terms of the juvenile justice system, it, it was kind of a free-for-all, I think, in many ways, um, much more loosely governed, there was a lot more leeway, and, you know, I think, you know, there was a lot more discretion in terms of how things were going to be disposed of or whatever. Um, I don't think that, you know, this type of thing could ever even be considered, you know, uh, what was set up for the two characters. I don't even think that would be a, a you know, distant possibility as anything. And I certainly think also that, you know, again, back then, you know, as, as overworked and overstressed, uh, you know, social workers are today in terms of child protective services, um, I think it was far worse back then. Um, so again, it would have enabled certainly something like this to slip through the cracks in many ways. 
And even though things slip through the cracks today, unfortunately, um, with devastating results, um, I don't think anyone would ever have allowed uh, someone, a cop like Baker, to ever be in charge of anyone. <laughs> so right. I don't really think right. that it could viably occur today. Um, so I think that that alone would have been a huge problem uh, in terms of trying to place this plot, you know, in today's New York. Um, yeah. Well, um, can I ask you uh, just a quick, what, what are you working on now? Um, you know, I haven't actually started anything else. I guess I'm working on working on promoting this book right now. So <laughs> I haven't yeah. actually yeah, started anything else. And I worked on this book for so, so many years that I guess my brain probably needs a little bit of a rest before I start something else. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, what are you working on right now? Well, um, a number of things. And my, my day job is as a film and television writer. Um, which is what you know allows me to to you know really be able to roll up my sleeves on a on a collection like like Los Angeles in the 1970s. So right now I have a few film and TV projects that I'm trying to get uh, you know finished up and finished out. And uh, you know there's a looming potential writer strike on May 1st. So there's a, there's a lot of pressure for everybody to get, you know, all to, for, for all, for a lot of business to be settled by then so that, you know, we can go off and write things that aren't being paid for. But I was, we, there's been discussion about some kind of companion piece or follow-up to Los Angeles, the 1970s. It's sold really nicely. It was, it was um, received very well. I think that people in the city were really in the mood for a book like this. And, um, but I, one of the things I love so much about it was it created such a sense of community um, that, you know, we, we still do, you know, we do panels and the panelists have all gotten, a lot of us you know, in the book have gotten friendly with other contributors and are now good friends. And, and people just found this common bond in being an Angelino in the seventies or being a student of such a student of it that, you know, your bona fides were earned that way. So it, I just feel like I'd love to explore what comes next in this, uh, whether it's the next decade, whether it's another, whether it's 70s, 70s part two, um, and, 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 and stay in the space because I found, um, as, as a novelist like you, the being able to, to edit not, and, and create nonfiction that, you know, that feels related to the subject matter you so love to work on, um, is really, for me, this was incredibly enriching additive experience. Um, I just, I, I didn't, I, I've never edited a book before. I never put, so, I didn't even know I could do it. And, it, you know, I, I was talking about it with our publisher in June. I think we first broached it in June of 2015. And the book was in bookshelf in stores by November of 2016. Wow. So, and, and 29 essays assembled, written, collected, put together, you know, added, you know, all, all, and somehow, you know, it only took like 17 months. So I just, I'd love to be able to, I'm not sure if we could, you know, stick to the same timetable, but it sure would be great to put another one out there. Have you explored the idea of, of working on some nonfiction or, or really, or, or sociological, t- uh, you know, of, of the, in, in, um, explorations of, of, of the, of the decade and of New York? You know, I don't, I don't know per se about the decade in, in New York. Um, sometimes I do think about, you know, writing something regarding 
uh, you know, women's issues. And I guess it would go back to that decade because, you know, looking at how and obviously the origin in the 60s of the women's movement and what's happened. Mm. And, you know, I guess my feeling is that I think a lot of it has derailed, so to speak. I'm, I'm kind of I'm very upset to think that a lot of the things that I wrote about in my novel um, really have not progressed as far as not only women's mm. issues, but racial issues and things like that. Right. Um, it's right. very disappointing. So sometimes I think about writing something like that. I, I find myself constantly, you know, printing out news articles. I'm always like finding things and printing things out and collecting them. I have a huge file at this point. So I know right. there's a part of me that has that in the back of my head that it, maybe at some point I'm actually going to write a book about, about that. Um, you know, but I have to say, I, Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's all right. I mean, I just, you know, I really, um, because, you know, looking at what you did in terms of putting together these essays, you know, to represent, uh, kind of present all the different facets of L.A., you know, at that time, um, you know, I really think that was just a phenomenal idea because, uh, you know, looking at how it came together and, and maybe it's one of these things of fate, but there were such unique voices and personalities that came through in the different essays. Um, so it wasn't just the topics, but also that, you know, how they presented what they wrote and, you know, their own personalities coming through and what they wrote. Um, and, you know, it really was, it's a very unique collection in that sense. Um, and it, it is a very dynamic collection. It's not just, you know, people relating historical facts and, you know, whatever, it's, a, it's very alive. You know, I really felt right. after I read it that I had a real sense of, of you know, the different aspects and, and did learn things that I, I hadn't been aware of or saw things that I had sort of knew but forgotten or, you know, kind of had compartmentalized in some fashion about L.A. during that time. So, you oh, know, it was really thank well you done. So much. Thank you so much. And ditto. And it's interesting because I was going to say that um, to your point about the women's movement, um, the screenplay that I just, that, that, you know, this is farther so long of mine that actually just got a you know, pretty exciting director attached and the company is looking to make it this summer is actually about the battle between Gloria Steinem and Phyllis Schlafly over the ERA. Oh. So I found myself, you know, I, I found, I find this decade has been, has yielded all kinds of fertile ground and you know, creative fertile ground and, you know, and not just in obviously literary space, but, uh, been in my film and television work as well. I just seem to keep coming back to it. So, you know, not that I want that to make that exclusively my new you, but it, it, it has, uh, it has been, a, you know, a really, really, um, it's been, you know, it's, it's been, it's been a great space to explore. So. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something very rich, about, you know, that decade in terms of, you know, everything that went on. And, you know, even if you look at, I think, you know, the music, you know, which I think is always so much a part of society and culture, but certainly of that time period as well. Um, you know, there were so many different forms of the same thing, like, you know, within rock, so to speak, there were so many different types. Mm -hmm. um, and so many, the styles of the artists were so varied, um, and, and again, even looking at that, it, it was such a, a, you know, beautiful and perfect time for music, you know, going from the 60s into the 70s. And then that, too, also kind of shut down and everything sort of became mm. much more regimented and, and compartmentalized and um, commercialized and, you know, whatever. So it, it, the music kind of followed the path, I think, of, 
of what occurred in general over that period mm-hmm. of time. Yeah, it really, it really did. And not by accident, uh, you know, I mean, music really could have, at one point, I mean, I had to say, look, we have to put a cap on music and film and TV essays because it really could, it really could, you know, swamp the, the collection and, and give, and, and it would be unrepresentative because, you know, as much as people associate Los Angeles with Hollywood and vice versa, Hollywood is still just volume wise, a, a relatively small industry. I mean, there's maybe a, there's thousands of people in the industry. There's 10 million people in the city in, in no way mm-hmm. is, you know, it, it, this is not a one horse town by any stretch of the imagination. It wasn't even back then. So we had to be very careful not to play into what people's misrepre- you know, mi- you know, misrepresentations of Los Angeles and, and tend to be, and, you know, give it really its full diverse, crazy, you know, well, wide ranging do. Um, but I, I'll very much look forward to seeing what you're, what you're working on next, because it sounds like you've got a lot of, you know, a lot to explore there. It sounds like your first is getting started, Randy. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and I'll certainly be looking forward to your next project as well, because, you know, I really enjoyed reading this. So, um, you know, I would definitely want to read the next thing that you do or watch the thank next you. thing that you do. So. Thank you. Very, very much ditto. Well, I guess we'll, with the half hour mark, so I guess we'll do an outro. Um, I'm David Kukoff editor of Los Angeles in the 1970s, Weird Themes Inside the Gold Mine, and author of Children of the Canyon. And it's been my great pleasure to talk with Randy Mason today. Thank you so much. Um, It's been great talking with you as well. Thank you, Randy. I look forward to speaking with you again soon.